It's 3 o'clock and you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Next up, Susan Stone with Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the Hello, this is Jennifer Stone. Uh, Susan Stone is no longer with us, but I talk to her sometimes on the phone. Yes, today it's just Jennifer. Uh, hopefully we'll get Susan over here one of these days and have a long talk with her about what she's been doing since she left KPFA. Uh, in any case, uh, ha, 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 ha. today I'm going to try to be calm. Yes, I must be calm be calm. Don't get carried away. Don't get into a rage. Ah, I had a little dream last night of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She uses the word alarming. Yes, alarming. <laughs> Such a sweet little woman she is. There she is with those eight guys uh, in the black robes. I looked last night in my little a favorite little book, Emily Bronte's lines. She wrote uh, a poem called No Coward Soul is Mine back in 1846, Emily Bronte. It ends with these lines. She wrote, Vain are the thousand creeds that move men's hearts. Unutterably vain worthless as withered weeds or idlest froth amid the boundless main. Yes, that's it, folks. So much trash, so much, so many withered weeds, these, these, these patriarchal poops. Never mind, as I said, I'm trying the best I can to find some humor in all this madness. I don't know. Uh, uh, we all know that the right wing is anxious to keep this issue, the issue of um, reproductive rights, uh, on the agenda. Uh, they need the money and they need the, uh, they need to be able to wave that flag and make a fuss about it. So they probably will not overthrow Roe versus Wade. What they will do is just keep battering away. It's like uh, gay marriage and all the other um, issues that they have no business dealing with. Uh, when I was a schoolgirl, and even when I was a teacher, I taught government classes. And we used to try to tell the students, yes, giving them a liberal education, that a government, a government was there to do that for us, which we could not do for ourselves. Uh, 
these matters, these matters of personal choice, um, have nothing to do with the government. Uh, I wonder what these, these congressmen think, uh, whether they have a license to practice medicine. It just, what is it? It makes me so cross that I, I just get rigid with anger and rage. <laughs> yes, I, I looked up all my stuff on, uh, on Gallic rage, on, uh, uh, the old hag, the stubborn one. Here she is, yes, she has one eye, one tooth, fist in the chest that clenches and opens and clenches again as the world's relentless pulse goes through it. Politics is not pretty. Earth today is not altogether serene. <laughs> Just don't use the word feisty, that's the one I can't stand. I'm frustrated. Of course, yes, woman is the earth. She'll pull herself together and we'll cope with this as we've coped with everything else. Uh, the feminine cannot be exploited. It cannot be sold. Um, they will try. They will try. But we have to take all the shortcuts to survival we can imagine. Uh, okay. Um, I was thinking the other day... Uh, our wages are so lousy, but our imaginative power is expanding. We have to uh, have to pull out the black wings. Yes, uh, when they say anger is not spiritual, they lie. Uh huh. Politics, politics. The body of the earth is definitely spiritual. We have a right to our rage, our righteous rage. The earth has been made sick. It's been beaten up and enslaved. Uh, we have a right to defend ourselves, and we are not obligated to be nice, non-argumentative, non-threatening. We don't need to look good. We are for real. I found a poem last night from a young woman. Uh, I've noticed that uh, once or twice I've used it, and it was cut uh Oh, it wasn't aired. Apparently, it doesn't look good anymore to talk about abortion in real terms. Uh, here she is, yes. Her name is M.L. Gowland, G-O-W-L-A-N-D. I found this poem in Bomb Shelter Press, a little book called On the Bus, way back in 1989. Yeah, that's when the Webster decision came down. <laughs> Ah, yeah. Anyway, this young woman writes a poem called Yes. Yes, of course I killed my baby. Don't act shocked. I knew it was alive. I knew its blood was going whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I don't need a man in a suit to tell me that little glob, pink and translucent, as a shrimp was human, that's the point. My child never felt the touch of human hands. There was not one single touch, not a mother's hand, not a father's hand, not a hand striking a child, not a junkie's hand. Death is always a rude surprise. 
It catches us off guard, uproots us like a wave and flings us to heaven or into the memory of women who choose oblivion for their children. The way some mothers test bath water with an elbow so the baby's skin won't burn. Now, I know that that is not the popular attitude. We're supposed to be nice about these things. The fact is that uh, when women choose uh, to terminate a pregnancy, they are usurping the role of God. This is offensive to patriarchs, to men who believe that it is their right to decide who shall live and who shall die. Uh, there is an ancient law called mother right, muter right. And uh, women claim that right. Who else should decide whether the baby lives or dies? Uh, this stuff is so old, folks. So very, very, very old. Been there, done that. I looked in uh, Susan Faludi's book, Backlash, last night. The Undeclared War on American Women. It's been going on since forever. Now, back in uh, 87, let's see, 20 years ago, 1987, even then, 85% of the counties in this nation had no abortion services. Uh, the American Bar Association voted to rescind its pro-choice policy in 1990. That was seven months after it had approved it. Uh, you know, um, um, uh, people have been, bishops have been excommunicated. Uh, let's see, the um, fetus's right to life in the 80s, uh, uh, the patriarch's eclipsed ability to make the family decisions was a bitter subtext in this fetus's right to life fight. There's a book by George Gilder that was Reagan's economic advisor. It was called Men and Marriage. I used it here on KPFA all the way back in 1986. George Gilder, yes. <laughs> He's the one who insisted we enforce wage differentials, you know, because he said otherwise men would have to resort to um, muscle and phallus, you know, in order to come out on top. Anyway, in Men and Marriage, George Gilder expressed the fear underlying much of male anxiety about female reproductive freedom. He wrote that feminists' successful campaign for birth control and abortion, quote, shifts the balance of sexual power further in favor of women. It depletes male patriarchal potency. It reduces the penis to an empty plaything. Good God. <laughs> That's the end of the quote from George Gilder. The point is, of course, they feel threatened, as Henry Hyde used to say, Mommy, Mommy, don't kill me. Uh, oh, Lord, what a problem. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, write her a note, thank her for trying. Uh, I guess it's no use wringing hands, hollering, screaming. Uh, can write the usual letters, write to the Times, yes. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman, back in 1989, 
wrote a dissenting opinion on the Webster decision. Now, uh, that's the decision that threw this issue of abortion rights back into the uh, states. Yes, it threw reproductive rights back to the states and created all this chaos we're seeing today. In his dissenting opinion, he wrote, The handwriting is on the wall. The signs are evident and very ominous. And a chill wind blows. Yes, a chill wind indeed. Uh, I marked the historic U-turn, yes, from 1989. As I said, I think they want to keep this issue on the front burner. It gives them uh, a moral black match. You know, they can keep hitting us over the head with this. Uh, Justice Blackman wrote that the Webster decision, quote, casts into darkness the hopes and visions of every woman. <laughs> I remember, yeah, when that Webster decision came down, Bella Abzug, dear, dear, the late, great Bella Abzug, came on television on the tube. She said, it's not the flag that's burning, it's the Constitution. How can the Supreme Court outlaw half the population? Yes, I remember um, several television specials from Bill Moyer, dear Bill Moyer. He uh, is coming back to PBS this Friday as a special show this Wednesday. Public broadcasting has put Bill Moyers back on the tube. Um, he pointed out that if you outlaw half the population, what meaning can the laws have? Uh, you remember once we had something called an Equal Rights Amendment? Ask young women whether they think uh, that uh, amendment passed. You'd be surprised how many are not aware that it was defeated. Uh, there's some talk of reviving it. Um, I thought that the defeat of the Equal Rights Amendment uh, would send women back to the barricades. <laughs> what are we waiting for? The Fourth Reich? Phallocrats know that uh, the male, the biological male, is the measure of all things that is in law. Once uh, one allows the feminine to intrude, well, the game is up. Consider history, I mean, even before Hitler, there was that Kaiser Wilhelm back in Germany. You remember him? He defined women's responsibility within the state as children, church, and kitchen. I won't try to pronounce the German. And my German isn't so good. Uh, feminists, you remember the feminists uh, in Germany between the wars in the Weimar Republic. God bless them. Uh, after World War One, they came rushing to the fore, and they they achieved the vote in 1918. That was part of the Weimar Constitution, and by 1926, moderate feminists had elected 32 women deputies to the Reichstag. That was the national parliament that symbolized this brief flowering of democracy in Germany, yes. <laughs> um, in that same era, there were only 15 women members of the British Parliament 
And in those years, the women in the U.S. Congress had reached a glorious title, a total, a total here of three, three members of Congress. Now, the comparison between what happened to feminism in Weimar, Germany, and the fate of our own Equal Rights Amendment and our uh, feminist agenda today is beginning to clarify, it's beginning to take shape in my mind. Uh, the job of fascism is to make the world safe for male supremacy. <laughs> the war on women is so interesting, so curious. Um, yes, uh, it's primal more than it is political, folks. Uh, there was a, a piece in Ms. Magazine 27 years ago. I dug it out last night. It was by Gloria Steinem. It was called The Nazi Connection. October 1980. Gloria Steinem states, Radical German feminists had also begun to organize against the protective legislation that kept women out of so many jobs. Uh, they uh, began to work towards such international goals as pacifism. Imagine pacifism between the two world wars. German families had become much smaller. Married women had gained the right to their own salaries. Precisely because such changes were both obvious in daily lifestyles and profound, they were often resented by those who longed for those undefeated hierarchical days before the war. <laughs> you remember old Daddy George Bush saying we had kicked the Vietnam Syndrome. Yes, undefeated warriors. Now, in Germany, there was unemployment and inflation. That's not our problem. Ah, oh, it's funny. Yes, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But in any case, um, women in the workforce were scapegoated then, just uh, same as the Jews, the Marxists, you know, the others. The Weimar Republic uh, decided to ban married women. They didn't want married women competing with men for government jobs. And they certainly wanted to restrict access to contraception. Uh, Hitler explained it in Mein Kampf. He wrote, The right of personal freedom recedes before the duty to preserve the race. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Now, I was born in 1933, and that was the year that feminists were removed from teaching jobs and other public posts. Ah, right, Hitler used the same law that removed non-Aryans from those jobs. Women were banned from the Reichstag, right. Uh, <laughs> no women allowed. Magazine ads for contraception uh, those were commonplace at the time, but those were outlawed as pornographic. Birth control clinics were padlocked. 
Yes, now that's the handwriting on the wall. Birth control is very confusing these days. Uh, <laughs> check it out with the Pope. In recent years, the war on women has gone from a state of siege to a reign of terror. Uh, the global situation of women is, of course, horrific. Mailstream propaganda is doing a job on the young. You know, it's nothing like the PR men. They have convinced so many women that, uh, what is it, feminism or the women's liberation movement is limiting. Yes, they say it limits you. It doesn't liberate you. <laughs> the word liber, yes, sounds like the N-word, liber. Uh, I remember we used to joke about the F-word feminism uh, because, of course, it turns off the sort of young women who, uh, you know, they just shrug. They don't, they don't want to be associated with something that they, they perceive to be, uh, what, anti-sex. That's what it is. Uh, I kept explaining to them, yes. I remember a young woman the other day. She said, if I read these books, will they make me hate men? I said, darling, if women hated men, it would all be over by Friday. The difficulty is the opposite. Women are, uh, what is that, uh, romance addicts. There's nothing they love like men, uh, and a good thing too, but they still have to be free to make their own choices. Uh, you know, there are women who tell me that abortion is an irresponsible act. I've heard that said. I heard a young woman tell me that uh, uh, some women are just spoiled and they want instant gratification and they don't take uh, pregnancies seriously. <laughs> I think that's a tough one. I suggested to that particular young woman that 90 million new souls a year, uh, 100 million I think it would be now, uh, and 10 million of them in disposable diapers is uh, a lot more irresponsible. To say nothing of fatal. I remember uh, Emma Goldman once saying that a worldwide ignorant motherhood might be more dangerous to our human species than a worldwide ignorant military. That's a hard one for women to swallow. Uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, I'm not sure how we can deal with this. Last night I woke up at four in the morning and I found I was still listening to the radio. I was listening to a horrific report on forced abortion in China. <laughs> oh dear, forced pregnancy or forced abortion? Name your poison. Um, if you study our mass media, you'll notice that reproductive rights is an issue in which there is a clear gender division. Hierarchical males on the one side and female freedom fighters on the other. I remember... Uh, Yes, the Judge Souter hearings. Do you remember that? There was a, a, a shocking p 
picture, it outraged those of us who believe that women are entitled to respect and that we are full-grown citizens. Uh, I watched those hearings and it, it made me think of a medieval clergyman, you know, male clergy, scolding the laity, that would be the females, for daring to question their betters. Uh, <laughs> yes. You remember Alan Simpson saying that uh, women were rolling their eyes, right? Yes. The most offensive male chauvinist prigs, the Republicans, yes. Um, I guess they were rolling their eyes and shrugging uh, in response to the behavior of those old dudes, the primate grandiosity of these guys <laughs> caused the women to throw up their hands in despair. Now, Judge Souter himself uh, was another matter. He's much too clever to insult women directly. Too smart for that. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's a character right out of Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale. These are not theatrical macho villains. He's not a messianic male who talks to God. He's just a cold Calvinist who knows the rules. Actually, I think um, Calvin didn't exactly talk to God. He chatted with God, but I'll bet God never got a word in. Anyway, there is a premise floating around our culture that judges should be objective and shouldn't have emotions or feelings. <laughs> we hear the same thing about journalists, about writers, yes. We must turn ourselves off in order to see things clearly. Of course, the difficulty here uh, is defining objectivity. In my lexicon, in my little dictionary, object is simply male subjectivity. No judge or journalist, female or male, is anything but a flesh-and-blood human being whose experience has imprinted her or him. Yes, imprinted them with profound feelings, all of which find expression in belief systems. The objectivity of any male when called upon to legislate or judicate on the subject of women's reproductive rights, is about analogous to my own objectivity were I in his place. Oh, if it helps my argument, if it supports my objectivity, I can say that I myself have never had an abortion. I was in an well, I was lucky. I was in a position to want both my children. After they were born, uh, I was ill, and by 28 I was no longer able to have any children. Uh, one of those peculiar situations, but that was luck. Uh, I guess, uh, well, was it Flo Kennedy used to say, yes, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament? <laughs> In my search for the underlying causes of misogyny and its effect on our culture, I've been reading once again 
uh, a tome, a book by a German scholar called Klaus Thiebelite, titled Male Fantasies. Klaus Thiebelite was born after the Second World War. Check him out. Klaus Thiebelite, Male Fantasies. He explains all the reasons why fascist mentality uh, condemns the female's vision of life as it should be and could be. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light em up, boys, there's your picture, drop the shadow, out of sight. Everyone longs to make a contribution that leaves the world a better place. Yoga Sangha in San Francisco is hosting a spiritual activation series to help us embody our values consciously in the world. Each event combines yoga taught by Kachyananda with an inspiring guest speaker to address social, spiritual, and environmental issues. Starting with Julia Butterfly Hill on Sunday, April 29th, the series will continue with Yvonne Peter, John Robbins, and Jack Cornfield. The events are held at Yoga Sangha and are co-sponsored by KPFA. Each event benefits a non-profit community group selected by the speaker. To find out more, visit yogasanga.com or call 415-934-0000. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, K.